0: Welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast, looking at the IMDB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew?
1: I'm very good, Darren. How are you doing this evening? I'm I'm good,
0: I'm good. This is an interesting one. This is kind of a, a solo bolo, just the two of us, you and I.
1: Just the two of us. We yes, are building castles and
0: way up high. Yes, we are talking about 1967's Cool Hand Luke, directed by Stuart Rosenberg, starring Paul Newman... And this is an interesting one because this is one of the 100 percenters on the list. This is a movie yeah. that's been on the IMDb's top 250 since the list was first created way back in 1996. It's still hanging around. I think it's somewhere 234 at the moment. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting movie in, in that context. We were supposed to be recording a, a different episode with guests this week and we had a kind of a scheduling schnafu. So we decided the two of us would talk about a movie on the list, just you and I. And I kind of said Cool Hand Luke because it's a it's a movie that has fascinated me in the same way that, as we talked about, something like Warrior fascinates me, where it's a, a movie that I, I'm not entirely sure what it's doing on the list and, and kind of like why it's been such a fixture and why it endures in the way that it has.
1: Yeah. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as well. Like- yep.
0: Uh, Inducted into the Library of Congress in 2005 as well. Uh, It regarded like the source of one of the uh, American Film Institute's 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes, which is the, what we've got here is failure to communicate. So it, it is a hugely impactful and influential movie. And it's one that I've always been kind of curious about, because I remember seeing it when I was much younger, and I was kind of delving into Hollywood history and liking it. Uh, liking it a lot not to jump too far ahead into the the three questions of discussion but kind of walking away from it and going that's a good movie and so when I every time I see it on the 250 there's part of me that goes but is it one of the 250 greatest movies ever made you know it's it, that uh, which I guess is is it something we will answer on this podcast <laughs> i suppose definitively um, Yes, objectively, as much as it is possible to answer that question objectively. But enough about my relationship to Cool Hand Luke and why we're talking about Cool Hand Luke in particular today. Had you seen this movie before? Were you aware of this movie before I said, let's talk about Cool Hand Luke?
1: I had not seen it, but I was very aware of it. I'm surprised we're not watching it with our our poker group. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, I thought it was like a poker movie. There is some poker in this movie.
0: Not to get Um, too spoilery, but that is where the title does come from. You may have been conflating it with The Hustler, which is another Paul Newman plays a gambling game kind of movie. Or (laughs) The Sting. Or The Sting, which also involves poker as well,
1: Um, which is another Paul Newman movie. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: Newman maybe cornered a market there, perhaps.
1: Did The Hustler and The Colour of Money, was there any poker in that or was it just poo?
0: I think it's just pool. Now, it's been a while since I've watched The Hustler. Um, I think The Color of Money is just pool. Now, it is obviously hustling and gambling and so <laughs> on and so forth. But it's, you know, I guess you could say that they're playing a form of poker, perhaps. You know, there's a lot of bluffing going on. It's, Somebody's it's, holding
1: all the cards. Pool is the 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 cards of balls.
0: Yes, we we said that here first definitively. We
1: do say that. Yes,
0: that's a casual conversation that. That's people, the
1: thing that people say. Definitely. Oh yes, the cards of balls. <laughs> he truly
0: is the king of kings. Um, but yeah, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about Cool Hand Luke and kind of put Cool Hand Luke uh, in its original kind of context. Because the thing about Cool Hand Luke is that it's it's a movie that kind of emerges in like 1967. Um, it is based on a 1965 semi-autobiographical novel of the same name by Don Pierce, uh, who was a former merchant seaman who I believe became a safecracker and ended up in prison as a result of his efforts. Uh, Jack Lemon uh, bought the rights to that novel, and at one point, they were considering casting Jack Lemon as the eponymous cool hand Luke. <laughs> uh, fortunately, Lemon himself seemed to be the person who saw better than that and was like, we should maybe hire somebody who has a little more street cred than I do at the moment. Um, I don't necessarily think the apartment is quite the energy that this movie needs. Um, so they bring on kind of Newman. Uh, as a kind of a creative voice, Uh, and basically the movie kind of develops and kind of evolves from there. They hire director uh, Stuart Rosenberg, uh, who is an interesting choice for this, in large part because he's primarily, at this point, known as a television director. Uh, He has made two previous feature films, one of which is Murder, Inc. in 1960, which he co-directed. That was not a solo directorial feature. And then he also, in 1961, he made Question 7, which is a american west german film which i believe was funded by the lutheran church uh, and therefore did not necessarily have a wide theatrical release but outside of that he was primarily known for his work in television
1: making presumably Sorry. you can show it in all sorts of lutheran churches <laughs> like, it, 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 it mightn't be in theaters but you know you can play it in tents and all of that sort of thing
0: I mean, it is a big tent film. It's a tent pole film, in fact, they might say. Um... But yeah, like so, basically they they hired kind of Stuart, Ro- Stuart Rosenberg, who was at the time seen as being a very interesting choice. He directed episodes of, like The Naked City, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Untouchables, The Defenders, for example. But like again, not really a big director. And again, interesting that it arrives at a time where you know the new Hollywood movement is just getting started. This is the same year, for example, as Bonnie Bonnie and Clyde, which is the movie that many people see firing the kind of starting pistol on this. Yeah. But it's a it's a movie that is somewhat regarded as anonymous in terms of its direction a lot of the credit for the movie and a lot of the discussion of the movie tend to focus on either the star itself it is arguably a Paul Newman film and we'll come back to that but it could also be like co-screenwriter Frank Pearson who'd go on to write Dog Day Afternoon and wrote like episodes of Mad Men he was still working uh, in the 2000s and into the 2010s cinematographer Conrad Hall um, who shot like In Cold Blood Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid Marathon Man uh, editor Sam Osteen oh sorry
1: I I I don't um, I mean it, it, perhaps some of that is added it, but like um, well I suppose I would say George Kennedy was the kind of was the guy who got recognized for this. Yeah, like he's the 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 kind he's of Oscar. The Oscar winner. he he beat some of the um some of the Bonnie and Clyde kind of nominees, like I think Gene Hackman and, and that um, and also I think like the the direction of this it feels very New Hollywood.
2: Yeah, it's
0: well, it's kind of it's an, it, it's a, it's a film that feels very much of its moment. It's very much a late 60s film. And I mean like
1: It's not anonymous though. It, it like, you know, I I I I, I feel like it's it, it it even even if um even if it's kind of like part of a movement, it, it's That was kind of the counterculture, wasn't it?
0: Yes, well, again, we'll we'll probably come back to that because there is a a lot of discussion about this movie and its relationship to the counterculture's relationship to the 1960s. The argument that this is one of the first explicitly anti-Vietnam, or, like, one of the first, obviously, not explicitly, it isn't explicitly anti-Vietnam, but one of the first movies that is quite obviously and quite overtly uh, something that is intended to be read as an anti-Vietnam statement. Um, but yeah, in in terms of, of film, like it is, you do mention like the new Hollywood look of it. It's worth noting that this was, I believe, the first major studio production to have lens flare in it, uh, where like one of the big things visually about this movie is that there it uses lens flare to to kind of recreate the kind of climate of heat that you have kind of where this movie is set in the south it was shot i believe in california but it's meant to be florida i think yeah Uh, but they they use a lot of lens flare to kind of get that sense of heat and it's notable as being the first time that a major studio film did that because back in obviously lens flare was seen as something that was amateurish it was seen as something that was you know if you had a good cinematographer their job was to avoid it uh very famously when they were making citizen kane orson wells used to coat his lenses with vard optic to ensure that like lens flares would not be seen in his production because the, the movie was using so much lighting for dramatic effect so it's kind of interesting that yeah you you know cool hand luke is is arguably a movie responsible for like jj abrams star trek movies and star wars (laughs) movies uh if you want to trace a clear line from there to now um but yeah just wondering when
1: we were going to mention jj abrams star trek movies (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, we do have a ticking clock here. I mean, it's just right there next to the one that is about La La Land. How long before Andrew uh, defends the (laughs) quote-unquote appropriation of jazz in La La Land? That clock is still ticking. Um, And don't worry, I have a suspicion we may somehow end up back there later on in the conversation. Um, All right, but before we kind of jump into the three questions just to get this started, like, this is a Paul Newman uh, vehicle. Um, like it's it's Paul Newman's face on the poster. Paul Newman is the title character. This is arguably one of his most iconic and defining screen roles. Do you have like any opinion on Newman as an actor? Poe, negative. What what do you, what, what, what do we think of? I merit?
1: do I do I I I love Newman. I think he's great. Like like as uh, as an actor but also as a man. Like the the um, the serious fun um here in ireland we've a uh, 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 barrettstown where it's um therapeutic recreation for um children with serious illnesses and uh, they they do a lot of good work but he, he he's just a tremendously charismatic um leading man he's obviously very handsome but he's got real and he, he's got a lot of charm but he's also got got kind of um a lot of he he has acting chops. Like he came up yeah. through through theater and then did the whole kind of Lee Strasberg stuff. Like like he he's he's a respectable film actor. And um, no, I, I I I I I love him. I I I I I saw a movie of his lately, um, which I which I'll oh, say for, the, for the, yeah. the 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 recommendations. Um,
0: Listeners are getting excited. I mean, listeners, I want you to write down on a piece of paper what you think Andrew's (laughs) going to recommend at the end of the episode. Um, We'll make a game of this. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) What do you call it? Um, You got um, all all the money in the camps on this one. (laughs)
0: um yeah and i mean newman is it's again kind of interesting again if we are positioning this as a movie that is transitional a movie that kind of comes out around the time of new hollywood and i mean again we'll talk about how the cast is stacked with like icons you, you hate him right i i obviously hate hate paul newman <laughs> no i love i like paul newman a lot actually i have a great deal of fondness for him um but he is he's a transitional star which is kind of interesting he's a star who begins as one of the last of like the let's make a star schemes of the 1950s of the kind of studio system where he's
1: he's, isn't it kind of like um where he gets a number of parts that were slated for um james dean
0: yes that is exactly it he was signed at warner's and then they loaned him out to mgm after the death of james dean for movies like somebody up there likes me for example in 1956 Um, So yeah, he was very much like an actor who was initially seen as being somebody like James Dean, somebody like Judy Garland, somebody under the old system where you get shopped around and your contract was, again, for a set number of films at at the studio. And again, you would be horse-traded back and forth depending on, you know, what the need was or what the demand was. And what's interesting is that Newman is one of the first of those stars to really claim his own star persona and we'll maybe talk about this like when we talk about cool hand luke but one of the ways that cool hand luke has been read is in some way as newman dealing with his own celebrity and stardom uh ebert uh in particular and in conversation with like george kennedy discussed the idea that like cool hand luke is a movie that is you know obviously countercultural, anti you know anti-authoritarian very much speaking to the late 60s but it's also uh to ebert and to Kennedy a movie that feels like Newman grappling with his own kind of movie stardom, his own relationship with that stardom. And he becomes this figure who becomes countercultural. You know, we mentioned like his collaborations with like Robert Redford on like Butch Sundance, and sorry, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, for example. Um, and, you know, obviously they go on, they do The Sting together as well. Uh, you know, he was one of the big liberals in Hollywood. He managed to find his way onto Nixon's enemy list, which is quite a badge of honor. Um, You mentioned all the charity work that he's done as well. The fact that he was, again, openly political and the fact that his choices and the movies that he made were often openly political. And the fact that he just... Newman feels like the last generation of a certain kind of actor. Like you look at many of the actors who came up after Newman, kind of who who you can compare him to. So people like, say, Redford or Costner or even like Eastwood you end up with a lot of those actors who end up becoming kind of directors themselves, where, like, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Eastwood directs most of his work. Most of Eastwood's films that are on the list are directed by Eastwood. Redford becomes, like, a producer driving creative force, but also a director in his own right as well. And, like, Costner, who, you know, models himself after Newman, who cites Cool Hand Luke as one of his favorite films, like, really becomes, like, a powerhouse director into the 90s when he becomes a proper movie star. And you have these guys exerting control over their movie star personas by like moving into the role of director and while Newman doesn't really do that I think he directs like maybe six films five films and and a television movie I think he appears in two of those five films uh you know he he kind of he founds I think it's artists first which is a a studio that attempts to to do what like United Artists did with Charlie Chaplin which is to to give movie star power back to you know movie stars but he doesn't really kind of power that. He He's kind of like, like Spielberg with DreamWorks, you get a sense that he's not really committed to that. It's a nice idea, but he's not willing to make the kind of sacrifices that you you expect or that are necessary for a movie star to power that. Instead, Newman is just happy to kind of act. Uh, he's the last of that generation of actors where it feels like acting is kind of enough for him, which is is fascinating, that kind of, again... He feels like an evolutionary link if you're going from those actors who were, like, horse-traded by the studio system to those actors who exert control over their their roles and their choices and their work, their agency. But he doesn't quite get to the stage where he's like Redford or Eastwood or Costner, where he just makes the movies that he wants to make. Instead, he exerts kind of, like, background power. He's making all the decisions with regards to casting and script, but he's not directing the movie himself. He still kind of sees himself as as an actor. And he, he keeps working throughout his life. I think his last role ends up being like Cars in 2006... But his body of work is just impressive, and there's this sense of curiosity about him as he goes. Like he, um, there's the great story, um, after after his passing, the story that Sam Mendes tells, because Sam Mendes worked with, uh, Conrad Hall. I think we talked about this when we talked about American Beauty, where Mendes, when he came to Hollywood, he hired a whole bunch of these new Hollywood, uh, kind of like cinematographers and editors to like help help shore up the fact that he had never made a movie before, <laughs> uh, but he was working on like Road to Perdition. And he wanted Newman for the part. And like he remembered. like First of all he remembered like calling Newman's agent. And Newman's agent basically said look. Paul's going to decide he wants to do it. Or he's not going to do it. I'm not going to persuade him. So here's his home phone number. You ring up and ask him. And so Mendez rings the phone number. And expects to get like the maid. Or the butler. Or somebody like that. And it's like nope it's Paul here. Uh, So yeah let's talk about this. They come over to lunch and apparently like you know and, and mendes is like this is really weird to me because newman is a state is like a screen icon um, but like at the end of the conversation like having like talk through the character talk through the script uh, and apparently like newman very conscious about violence in his movies not wanting to glamorize violence but he turns to like he, he like at the end where they get to the point of the conversation which is like do you want to do this newman apparently like puts his hand on mendes's hand and says look one thing i need to know about you as a director are you capable of holding your actor's hands through a movie? And Mendez, who at this point has made one feature film, is like, uh, yeah, sure, why not? And Newman's like, fine, let's do this but thing.
1: Always now. say yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's it exactly. I believe say that yes was Mendes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was Mendez's actual like comment on it. It's like, I didn't feel like I could say no. When Paul Newman asks you a question, you answer yes. Um, but like again, Newman very much like the star who was willing to play with his persona. So yeah, I have a I have a great deal of of affection for Newman, despite setting me up as the bad guy there, Andrew, which I appreciate. <laughs>
1: like, what do you think? Yeah, Paul, you hate charity work. Yeah, what, what do you what do you think of, of of Paul Newman? And then I talk about him, it's, and there is like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say, hey, Darren, what do you think of? But instead I was like, and you don't like him, correct?
0: <laughs> Just to go set up the heel dynamic that we have yes. here. Um, <laughs> allow me to ruin Paul Newman for you. Um, but yes, okay. Um, I believe you, like on one of the, jo- I think it's Jaws the Revenge, you used Darren Mooney as a verb and I don't like it. Or you're like, I I Darren Mooney'd myself when you Googled a celebrity and discovered something horrific So I looked about
1: up the- John Searle. Yeah, um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 there, there was some sort of like persistent, like um, sexual, <laughs> sexual harassment, harassment or something. Actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't just think of what it was off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I,
0: I, don't like the apologies the if that wasn't exact.
1: Is but yeah, yeah, yeah. That the, the um,
0: that's how you Darren Moonied yourself. Um, yeah. Not what I want my name associated.
1: with. <laughs> um. it's, it's when you. It's when you have positive associations of somebody, and then you do your research, yeah. <laughs> and it ruins them. Yeah.
0: All right. Um. All right then. So before we jump into the Spore zone, talking about Cool Hand Luke, three questions to get us started. So Andrew, do you think that Cool Hand Luke belongs on a list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies ever made?
1: Um. I yeah. I mean, I suppose we might think of it in the context of Bonnie and Clyde which I haven't seen but which was very seminal and stuff that is on the list like uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest and stuff that isn't on the list um like easy rider yeah and i i i, I don't i'm not sure how groundbreaking this is but i think it's very good and uh I think i I think there there are perhaps better paul Newman movies maybe but um, more
0: on that at the end of the episode
1: well and I, I i I like it's a very good movie you know yeah and yeah. and it's also kind of an an example maybe maybe not the most um, opposite example but an example of um kind of new Hollywood. um and it has that kind of um uh, uh, feel and Dennis Hopper is in it. <laughs> which, oh, this is which only gives an extra extra uh, cred with Andrew. Uh, no extra extra New Hollywood cred.
0: This is only two years removed from the Sound of Music. Not,
1: not a famous Democrat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, like, this is only two years removed from The Sound of Music, which is something I was thinking about while watching
2: it.
1: Like, yeah.
0: This, this is, like, how far we've come. Uh, I believe also, uh, again, in the in the grand 250 tradition of talking about the objectification of male bodies, it is the first studio production to feature bare arses. Um, that is, arses <laughs> that are bare, not arses that belong Your to bear. Your
1: delivery on that. Bare arses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: derriere
1: it was really apparent how comfortable you were saying that
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you Um, uh, but yeah so you know just uh, again to bring back the old 250 trope of like the objective discussing the presentation of male bodies (laughs) through the history of cinema I did think it was notable for that reason I do think it was worth flagging that it does it is the first major studio production where you can see a bare arse (laughs)
1: okay Grace. <laughs> just gonna leave that yeah. hanging there so it, yeah it's not just the 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 joy harman kind of car wash scene there's, which there's...
0: we i'm sure we'll discuss <laughs> this other for the ladies as well um Indeed. um but yeah um so in, in, in terms of myself then yeah i'm gonna couch much like you do where i think that like my I can see why it's liked. I can see why it's on the list. The list has a lot of prison movies, a lot of uh, prison adjacent movies. The Shawshank Redemption uh, is like the greatest movie of all time on this list. So I can see why yeah. Cool Hand Luke is very much in the mold of the list. Um, does Darren think Cool Hand Luke is better than the Shawshank Redemption? We'll get to that in a moment.
1: Uh, so. Well, it, it, it's uh, the, um, like a, a, these male-only environments, I guess. Kind of, yeah. um speak to imdb voters don't they
0: <laughs> yes it, it is a very man's movie to a certain extent where i think there is only one is no there are two female characters there is a mother yeah. as well there is yeah, a mother yeah, and, a, and a car washing woman
1: um, it's, um, yeah who's I, I think she's like the girl um, <laughs> that's how she's credited yes, <laughs> yes
0: um, yeah um, and there is also, by the way, the the mother there, the, the mother is. Alessa,
1: isn't it? Yes,
0: I believe so. Or that played by Joe Van Fleet. Van Fleet, I believe, played James Dean's mother in East of Eden as well. So you have that kind of, again, that connection between Newman and kind of James Dean. Um, I believe that it's there are also only seven years between uh, Newman and Joe Van Fleet in terms of age, um, which, again, is a very, very Hollywood. Um,
1: it's a funny thing about how old. Um... Um, Paul Newman is. Uh, I like that you had to check your notes. What's the name of the star <laughs> in this movie? <laughs> um, Caesar Salads, Uh Newman. Ranch dressing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like forty-two. He is. Yeah. That was. That was. That's worth noting. There. It's like, like nineteen sixty-seven. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes on to kind of do everything
0: that he did yeah and and kind of race cars and become like and star in movies through the 80s 90s and 2000s and again working with sam mendes is still like i'm not entirely sure i have this whole acting thing down sam (laughs) i'm gonna need you to kind of write the ship there um but yeah like he's 42 years old reinventing himself as a counterculture icon which i find kind of amazing
1: he has gray hair in this movie he
0: he does and and again it's but it's and again, I'm not sure how old the character is meant to be in the movie. Is he meant to be 42, or is he because he's a he's a veteran? But it's left somewhat ambiguous, like what he's a veteran of, because this is clearly set in the 50s. So is he a veteran of the yeah. Second World War? or Is he a veteran of Korea?
1: And the book was kind of set in the 50s too. No, no, he's he's a veteran in World War Two, okay. um, as I, 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 um, as as a lot Newman of the actors was. were. Yeah, New, Newman, George Kennedy, and. Harry Dean Stanton were all in. Were all Navy men. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the, Paul Newman was like a, a, a torpedo bomber, rear gunner, and radio man. George Kennedy was was decorated as well for um, for a service. I think he had like a bronze star or something like that. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, I he, he was. I think he was at the Battle of Okinawa. Um,
0: okay. Yeah. No. I, I think I've heard that one. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah, it's it's kind of just it's amazing to think
1: of like this as like a
0: youth counter well not a youth but a counterculture movie
1: because it's the greatest generation. The, yeah, that's it. yes. like Dennis Hopper I, was too young for um, a like speaking he was part. Nine when the when when the world when World War Two ended. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, did, did, uh, um, about World War Two and Dennis Hopper. But, yeah, but a lot of the other stars of this movie weren't.
0: The tangent upon a tangent that we got here was. Yeah, this is a very... I can see why it's on the 250. It's a very prison break kind of movie. It's these male-only environments. I think, like, I agree with basically a lot of what you said, which is, like, if you're looking for a movie from New Hollywood on here, I'm, like, I'm not sure why Bonnie and Clyde isn't on here. Yeah. I I get why Easy Rider isn't on here. Like, Easy Rider is a historical monument. It's not an easy watch. Whereas Bonnie and Clyde, I think, holds up is a fun watch. Okay, fun is a... Yeah, I suppose fun. Let's go with fun. (laughs) It's a fun watch. And, like... If you're looking for a Paul Newman film, like, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which kind of dropped off, feels like it's a more like epochal movie for uh you know, for Newman. I agree with that. I know the Sting is on there, um, and I know that the Sting is also a Newman um and Redford joint, but I do I I feel it feels weird that this is on and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is off. And yeah, I mean uh, other than that though i can see why it's on i see it, it has the combination of factors that like make it suitable for the list
1: it's it is peculiar i mean there, there's there's plenty there there are plenty, plenty of iconic um uh moments in 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 this movie as well i guess well even images like um, yeah. obviously um, the
0: man without eyes yeah and then the line that we quoted as well yeah so no, I like I can see why it's there, and I guess I kind of I respect that and I think it fits the list reasonably well. But I'm also like I do wonder if there if its space maybe couldn't have been allocated to something that I think is is maybe more important, it however you measure importance, um, that is more representative of, of kind of something. But at the same time, I don't necessarily begrudge it being here. This is the is it better than the help test, I guess, is the answer. <laughs> and the answer here is most definitely yes. Um, all right, then. And second question, because you, you've just watched this for the first time. Mm. Would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies?
1: Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, 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 like it, it, I don't have that kind of perspective on it yet. I, I, I definitely did like it a lot. We talked about some of the some of the actors in it who give great performances. I think I suppose if if if, if we're talking about um kind of other aspects of the movie, I I I think um I think it has a fantastic kind of um, score or or soundtrack. Yeah. Um by Lay shafran Yeah from from um Mission Impossible, Impossible and Bullet. Yeah. That sounds great. And but, but it feels a kind of um, it feels a little inconsequential, I suppose. This movie, maybe. Um, I'm not sure how strongly I, I want to kind of go, batting for it, but, but I liked it a lot.
0: Yeah, and again, this is this is this is basically my my same opinion as well. This is going to be a very boring episode. I oh, know. Uh, where Darren and Andrew mostly <laughs> agree about
1: something. Um, no, there, there there will be fireworks. Um, will, we will this be the last episode of the of 250 the ever? Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: How is Darren going to work? How's how's Darren going to rev Andrew up to talk about cultural appropriation? la la la? Stay tuned. Um, but no, I mean,
1: I, yeah, I, I I just made the, 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 the if, if if you're <laughs> going to go back to talking about this, that's good that. that, that the, you're, you're you're i feel like you're going to mischaracterize it for somebody who hasn't listened to that conversation <laughs> my only point was that there is a jewish history of jazz as 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 well as an african-american history of jazz no
0: i i i know i, I know i don't i'm, I'm I'm more just remarking the fact that we've we've we we've re that that several times over the past two episodes or three episodes. Like I think like it comes up in Shaq and it comes up again in The Sound of Music. And I think like as Shiva made the point in The Sound of Music, what's really great is that nobody prompts you for that. Um, <laughs> um, all right. But before we get before we jump into all that, in terms of myself, probably not i mean i i like you i like this episode sorry i like this episode I, li- I like this vibe i like the vibe of this episode we're in right now i like this movie a lot i think it's incredibly charming i think it's winsome i think newman like newman is a movie star like the, the title yeah. of the Ethan documentary series yes that's it exactly beat me to it the last movie the, star the
1: z- z- zoom call it's basically this <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but- <laughs> with but with george clooney and um and what who who, who else is it? is it is nicole Kidman?
0: sam rockwell does does talk talks about this one uh, yeah uh there's a whole bunch of people and it's basically ethan hawke and his mates talking about how much they love paul newman which is on zoom on zoom um what more could you want um but yeah, so like the title of that miniseries is The Last Movie Star. And like looking at Newman, he just exudes charisma. He's an incredibly easy man. it's not just Newman,
1: it's The Last Movie Stars, isn't it? Uh, it's himself him? and Joanna
0: Woodward. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, um, which we may talk about later in this episode or we may not. I'm not entirely sure. We'll figure that out as we get there. But he is, he exudes screen charisma. It's very easy to see how he became... This icon that he ended up being. And you're right, the movie has an absolutely incredible ensemble. George Kennedy's there. And as you have your like Struther Martin uttering that famous line, you have all the other actors that we kind of mentioned who are up in young roles as well i think it looks great as well i think conrad hall's cinematography is amazing i think it looks hot and sweaty and sticky uh which I, again it's something i'm kind of curious to get your read on because i think you, you're not
1: <laughs> i generally don't like that sort of stuff yeah no.
0: you don't like like i think you use sweaty as like a, a pejorative term and not like metaphorically sweaty just literally sweaty <laughs> um what was the movie you described as sweaty um oh was it it wasn't star trek the motion picture
1: Maybe it was Starch. Oh, oh Ratif Khan. Uh, Ratif Khan. Yeah, Khan, yeah, which yeah. yeah, just... very kind of oiled up. <laughs> yeah.
0: We ordered baby oil by the uh, by the by the drum. Uh, yeah,
1: I suppose. Yeah, you got me. I don't. I didn't like that aspect of this movie. That, oh, okay. is, that is correct. <laughs>
0: um, but I, I I like. I like the glistening. I like the way it looks. I like the way that you can feel the heat radiating through it. Uh, I think it's got some interesting themes, which we'll talk about. But it wouldn't make my own personal 250 just based on personal preference. I don't know. Again, this is something we talked about when I think we talked about like One Flow Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where Darren's not really that strongly anti-authoritarian when it comes to his movie choices. Really? Surprisingly. Was it like, I was like, Nurse Ratchet gets a bum deal, I believe, was my hot take on like One Flow Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Which is, sure, she's, she lobotomizes that guy. But on the other hand, he did take them out on an unsupervised boat journey that could have killed them all. So, you know, I mean, who's really the villain in that story? The answer is Nurse Ratched is the villain in that story. But still, um, was it like The Sound of Music where I'm like, the Baroness, the Baroness. She gets murdered the
1: at the end. No, oh, no, no, she doesn't. <laughs> she, she gets assaulted, I beg your pardon.
0: Uh, but... Um, like and, and yeah, and we we talked about that. That is one of the aspects of the movie that is again very seventies. But I think I think with Cool Hand Luke, obviously the uh, the anti authoritarian stuff there is a bit less rooted in seventies misogyny because there are no women in this movie apart from two of them. Um, but I do. I guess maybe I don't really respond to the stuff in prison movies that a lot of people respond to. I don't necessarily have the strain, the same emotional attachment to the genre.
1: Like, your time in school, like, which is the closest thing to prison, you have to prison, <laughs> like, kind of acceptance, and so <laughs> submission to the rules. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I was like when he when he comes in, and he's told he only has two years. I'm like, you sh- that's nothing. Water off a duck's back. <laughs> you can practically get your life back, Luke.
1: Um, <laughs> you, you could leave a young forty four year old man. <laughs> yeah, you could leave with a
0: degree. It doesn't actually seem like the kind of prison where you can leave with a degree.
1: Uh, he, yeah, I don't think they're getting the degrees there in the uh, 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 Florida prison. <laughs> yeah,
0: the Road Prison Forty Two or whatever it is, or, or Seventy Two. Um, it's
1: like fl- fl- um, Florida man awarded degree <laughs> during chain gang. <laughs> I'm it. it's not. It's not a, 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 a an, yeah a a degree in dentistry or. or a, um, what does he get a degree in, Florida man, when he's in 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 the chain gang? What is the most surprising um, headline?
0: I guess accounting, probably.
1: Cultural studies. Cultural. Uh, st- there we go. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: um, all right. But yeah, so it wouldn't be on my own personal 250. I do like this movie a lot, which I guess is a nice segue into the final question, which is, Andrew, if listeners have not seen Cool Hand Luke, and it is a Warner Brothers movie, so if you're in the States, you can watch it on HBO Max. I believe it is rentable and purchasable uh, via Google Play and various other sources over here as well. Would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream Cool Hand Luke to a local device?
1: Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, mean, um, because it, it. I think culturally, it's important. Not, not, not in terms of where it's situated, but just as a, as a, as a piece of um, uh, cinema. um, Knowing about it and and you know knowing kind of the uh, 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 references, but it's genuinely good. It's not kind of um, eat uh, your vegetables. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I I would I would recommend that people watch it. Um, it's not really anything that we're going to, uh, spoil too much. But 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 absolutely go and see the movie before listening to us talk any more about it.
0: Yeah. Um, and I I would agree with that. I think it's it's a movie that I really enjoyed. I think it looks great, as I said. I think it's you said you think it sounds great. I agree with that. Newman is a movie star. It's hugely enjoyable. Yes, it is usually um, again it is influential in ways that I think are, are kind of interesting to talk about and again as you mentioned so much of this movie is weirdly iconic where I was rewatching it recently for was re it for this podcast I was like oh so that's what every scene involving a woman washing a car is referencing <laughs> um, which is an interesting cultural landmark to have or that's what every single cinematic shot of a character wearing aviator sunglasses yes. is drawing from um like there are moments in this film where you look at and you go this was a hugely influential movie for an entire generation of like filmmakers and television makers and
1: it's it's weird it's almost to the point where like sometimes you watch you look at these movies and you're like and for a second you think that something is derivative and then you realize that all of the derivative stuff has come from this you know (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) you're
0: like i don't think anything predates this it's like i I don't (laughs) think (laughs) People didn't wash cars in 1966. <laughs> um, all right, with that with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Fun zone. So, Andrew, what is Cool Hand Luke about for you? I
1: think it, it's it's. Um... It's about um kind of freedom, sticking it to the man. Kind of resisting rules and regulations. Um it's about kind of um revolt, I guess, and of 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 this kind of um cheeky, kind of irrepressible kind of spirit that that's that that won't be held down, incarcerated, kind of can't be can be broken as such, it says that he's broken, but he says that that's um, he can't be um, made to think right, yeah. isn't it? No, no.
0: get his mind right, he couldn't get his mind right, isn't that? Yeah,
1: way? he couldn't get his, 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 his mind right because he'd been forced to kind of get in line, and he can't do that by being beaten. And it has it ha, it, um, it has to be his choice. It's interesting because there's a kind of like a pointlessness to his uh, rebellion, you know. That that. that, that well, he's that.
0: never going to beat the system. The system is is so all encompassing. Well, it,
1: it's not. It's it's not that. Like it, it, I, I I think if if you have a good reason for wanting to beat the system, and can't beat the system, I think it's meaningful. I mean, there is a certain stoicism to this, but he he he's he, he's just taking the tops off. Oh, at the very <laughs> of, start, <laughs> Of Coin meters, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> like like it's it's it.
2: It's
0: very Marlon Brando in The Wild One. It's like, what are you rebelling against? What you got? And it turns out what they got is parking meters.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, because um, what's
0: that line with the warden? It's like, what were you think? Where were you thinking that'd get you? And it's like, I guess I wasn't thinking at all. Um, It's just like it's it's rebellion for the sake of rebellion, I guess. Yeah,
1: it's not it's not like they're just being arbitrary (laughs) fascist. Well, you know you can't do that.
0: (laughs) Uh, I do love, by the way,
1: punish you with like a a a two year sentence because you've just done so many of them. Yeah. It's the amount of damage, yeah.
0: If you stopped at just one, we could have given you a warning, but you got through at least five,
1: and if we hadn't have I don't stopped, think you would have gotten a warning, Darren. Do you?
0: Fair. It, it doesn't seem like that's the vibe we get from the police officers. With this, he would have
1: at least had to have paid for <laughs> yeah. the for the for the damage caused, right?
0: Fair point. Like, because it's it's it seems weirdly thought through. He has a tool specifically for it. Uh, As well, like there's a little small touch that I love in the opening sequence where he.
1: That's a tool specifically for. No, no,
0: okay, but he like, but (laughs) okay, but he had to bring that tool with him. It's large, (laughs) like it's it's not as if he was just wandering around with it and was like, "What can I use this for?" Like that was the
1: ingenuity. Um, when when all you I feel like he was okay. uh just lugging it around looking for something to do with
0: it. <laughs> fair point, but it doesn't seem like the kind of thing where you can be innocently wandering around looking for something to do with that tool, to be fair.
1: There's something destructive to do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um a small touch I love in that sequence is the bit where he he kneels down, he picks up the parking meter off the road and just puts it on the pavement. Uh, which is kind of one of those great like the destruction isn't entirely like malicious and pointless it's like he's decapitating the parking meters but he's not just causing whole scale destruction and devastation for its own sake it's like no no no. what i'm doing here i'm being very particular about what i'm doing i don't want to litter on the road um it's one of those small contradictions i kind of like about a character like that.
1: i was wondering if he was planning on collecting them all and then trying to get the coins out (laughs) and spending them on pinball i guess
0: because it, it, well, it is the 50s, presumably. That's what they do. uh, Pop and pinball is what he would have spent it on. <laughs> um, I, like, I kind of... <clears throat> yeah, there is that sense of, like, pointlessness to his rebellion, which I think you're right about. And the idea, like... I like this more than I like The Shawshank Redemption. And I guess, spoiler alert, the reason for that is because it's a movie that is, like, one of the things, one of the issues I had with The Shawshank Redemption we talked about is that it's a movie that seems unjustifiably happy or unjustifiably pleasant about the idea of these characters being put through hell it's a movie where at the end they get to go to paradise together and I kind of like cool hand Luke I kind of like because it's like no no the system the system will crush you
1: can I just say like um I am low-key cynical yeah like both movies are about the indomitable a human and I feel like
0: the spirit gets dominated quite thoroughly in Cool Hand Luke though
1: no, I don't think so. Okay, okay. I, 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 I. The, that's that's. I mean, the the. You're entirely opinion, but, but it's wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah, and well, you're wrong about Shawshank Redemption as well. That's the whole like okay. uh, the, the central point okay. of that movie is that there is something within us that they can't take away.
0: <laughs> and Darren's like, I don't buy that.
1: I don't believe that.
0: No, okay. Well, with Cool Hand Luke, though, you have the moment like you do talk- get
1: that though, right? <laughs>
0: we talked about this week you talked about this you, moment. you haven't <laughs> blocked
1: out those parts of
2: the movie uh,
0: long long is the path
1: or the, the fact that like his, his his last line is is making fun of them and saying what we have here is a failure to communicate and then he smiles as be as he's being driven away because uh, they haven't defeated him
0: i mean they do kill him and like he does admit to being yeah, you, broken
1: they, you you no, he 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 wasn't forced to to um, to get his head right. No, he but didn't get they, his they, head they, right,
0: but he did like he was broken. Like he was kind of he ended up digging that ditch and refilling that ditch. And like you have the idea that like he was to the, the you know to the other inmates and to the guards domesticated to a certain extent because again, this is a movie where
1: Yeah, that that was their perception then, but then he escaped. Like the, the, the abiding kind of they, they you, you 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 can't defeat someone just by killing them. You you understand that, don't you?
0: I, you can't defeat an idea. You can't you you can't defeat an idea or a movement or a concept. Yes, that I agree like that I agree with, and I think that's true here. Like the concept of rebellion lives on. The idea that Luke has inspired no, you know, the, people the, like Dragline the, or whatever.
1: winning winning is kind of dying on your own terms. Like the, 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 the you know, the the idea of like better better to kind of die on on one's feet. On feet
0: then live on one's knees yeah no I, 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 I get that but it is also a defeat in the sense that you are dead it is also like it's not a it's a pariahic victory at best I would argue in that like for you as a person whatever about the value no, is of... it's a
1: paric victim is Peric victory for them okay because no, no no system can um, um, can can persist without kind of like that like the, digitism, the legitimacy are, are kind of like um buy-in and the, the more that people kind of stand up to things the um the more weaken it becomes and they the the, the 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 simple act of like punishing somebody or like taking away their life well i mean maybe, maybe maybe that's a bit optimistic and of course there are plenty of examples of revolutions that are genuinely crushed um that 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 never kind of um...
0: and regimes that endure in the face of this sort of stuff for extended periods, like yeah, yeah I suppose,
1: but I don't know. I I, 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 I think that's um the uh, that's not the point of this movie.
0: Okay. I, I don't I don't know. I think I think it's that he, his rebellion has value. His anti-authoritarianism has value, but he also he
1: doesn't get to like. Do you do you think the lesson of the do you think there's a cautionary tale about being yourself? No,
0: I do not think it's a cautionary tale about the importance of like towing the line, conforming, I, conforming. <laughs> like,
1: you you bet. If you ever end up in prison, you better do what you told, them, otherwise <laughs> they might kill you. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> don't do what Luke does. No, I think I think it's a more clear-eyed view of that sort of idea that you have in Shawshank, which is as you said, the idea that some people can't be dominated, that some people can't be. Completely overwhelmed or suppressed, yeah. but it's also with an asterisk next to it, which is such people can die, and like such people can't necessarily triumph or escape. That it is still horrible, that it is still brutal, and it is still cruel, and the system, you know, isn't always going to tumble with the with the small kind of movement of this one person. I don't know. I just, I again,
1: I, I... no, but the, the 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 the. I guess the whole point of the novel is that like that person lives on
0: in spirit and
1: they did, yeah and that there are kind of there's something kind of legendary about it
0: i mean i guess maybe this is this is a segue then to talk about that because that's one of
1: the nobody's things. going to celebrate the jailer
0: no nobody's going to celebrate the boss um no but i mean i think that's one of the things i do find interesting about it. and one thing that i think a lot of people who've written about it find interesting about it is the idea like luke actively rejects this idea that's projected onto him luke doesn't want to be a hero or a symbol like that bit when he's taken back the second time after he's escaped and he's like stop putting it all on me yeah uh and he like he renounces like
1: i i think that's less to do with um i think that's more wanting wanting other people to take um to be the kind of people that they want to be and not to live vicariously through him. And for, for for other people to to you know do their own version, you know? No, but is is that not the you, you you don't get that from from the movie.
0: I don't like I find again, I find that ambivalent I think there's an ambivalence there. I think it's not like I find that like for me what I
1: he says what don't don't put it all on me. yeah, don't put it all on me that, 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 that's that that that's an exhortation to them to you know make make something of their lives and and to like it's not just that he doesn't want to be the hero. it's that he 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 wants them to you know be the heroes of their own story. Or at least that's the uh, that's how it felt there there was something kind of like mindless about their kind of fandom for 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 him and and that uh, he's just kind of out there being himself and if they want to kind of glorify that they can do it by by being their own selves
0: but there's a question then of like the extent to which he is he is being himself cuz he like he doesn't he does tell them that the photo was staged like he does tell them that the picture that he sent was something he spent a week's salary staging uh for them right
1: yeah yeah,
0: like so. So even that is is kind of pretend or kind of make believe. Even he's not necessarily being his authentic self or himself in sending that image to them as well. Like, I think I think there I think there's a a tension there between like the idea of like him as a person and him as an idea, and the extent to which he is comfortable with that, and the extent to which the the movie is kind of comfortable with that, and the, the like the idea of like him as a person versus him as an idea, and the idea that him as an idea obviously lives on after he dies. He becomes an inspiration. He becomes a myth. He becomes a legend. Yeah. Uh, he makes himself more than just a man, Mr. Wayne. But the <laughs> idea that you, you, you have him as a man, as a person, as a human being who is, is dead and doesn't want to be there. again. No, we'll probably inevitably talk about this in, in a couple of minutes, but the idea of like the religious symbolism of the movie where he is oh, yeah. almost a secular Jesus well, yeah, and you have that kind of Gethsemane moment, like, you know, like where it's, it, it's that moment where is he's him.
1: laid out in cruciform. Yeah. After the it, eating it, it, competition
0: it, it, where the final image yeah, of the movie is where, him superimposed it, on a crossroads, like a crucifixion. Um, the this idea, is,
1: this, this isn't a, an, an Easter movie. It, it, it is, it is it, it's an American Christ. Yeah, like uh, a little bit like RoboCop. Oh, Obligatory like um, RoboCop reference. Um, yeah, I think Cool 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 Hand Luke also escapes prison a good few times, <laughs> and it's not because he works for Dick Jones and Dick Jones works for OCP and OCP hunts the cops. It's big. <laughs> um, it's because he's Cool Hand Luke.
0: Yeah, um, but like I guess that to talk about like the Christian imagery and the kind of like the, the idea there, like it, it's. Notable that like in April 1966, so a year before this movie was released, Time published an issue with a completely black cover and a simple headline on that cover, Is God Dead? And it basically, again, seen as prompting a whole big discussion about the role of God in American life. And a large part of that discussion in that Time magazine article, uh, which will include the show notes, what, which is quite nuanced. It's not as kind of confrontational as "Is God Dead" suggests that it is, but it's the idea well, that ne- like
1: ne- neither is the the text to which that um, alludes uh, line alludes. Yeah. I guess, yeah. But like, um, it's
0: it's the idea that like you know. In, in 1966 you had America going through all this turbulent stuff in the 60s the stuff that we talked about we talked about the sound of music um, stuff like the, the counterculture kind of rising up stuff like Vietnam heating up uh, things like protests happening the death of John F. Kennedy in 1963 all that stuff stirring in the consciousness and you had this kind of argument that and again you know from I think it, it's Hamilton I think was the author of the piece or one of the architects of the piece and he he said that like in 19, in 1960s one of the Big things for Americans, or that he believed for Americans, was the idea that God was not an ideal religious icon for Americans. Uh, Jesus was. And more than that, like the idea is that we look at the world as it is now, we look at things like, say, the civil rights movement, for example. Uh, we look at communism ha- spreading overseas. Uh, we look at like the nation oppressing its own citizens. And there's a real sense of God's not going to necessarily save us. We have to save ourselves. Uh, and I find something interesting in Cool Hand Luke where it feels almost like an attempt to secularize that idea of a religious kind of savior where like it's almost kind of a secular gospel where repeatedly throughout the film... It's made a point that Luke is an atheist. Yeah, like there's a point where one of the one of the guards says, "Look, I, I couldn't figure out what a guy like you was doing here until I heard that you don't believe in God," and then it all started making sense. Uh, and then you have the moment at the end where like Luke seeks refuge in a church and prays to God, and he it's again he he presents this as a conversation like we've never had this conversation before earlier on, when Luke is meeting with his mother, like she makes it clear that his father was never present. His father was entirely absent. And if his father had been around, the two of them probably wouldn't have gotten on. The father probably would have beaten him. I mean, you they even have things like the the idea of the man with sunglasses, the, the chief supervising guard being called, you know, the man with no eyes. And the fact that he is a silent figure. The moment where he calls up a, a gun and takes out the bolt. And they have the moment like, you ever notice that he never says anything? And then he just shoots a bird in midair. And Luke makes the observation, I think he just said something. But the idea that, yeah, in that church, Luke prays to God for help and salvation. And almost instantly, like comically quickly, the police show up and surround him outside. And even Luke himself is like, that's, well, I guess that's the answer I should have expected from you. You have this kind of idea that maybe God, if God exists, he is blind. If God isn't blind, he is cruel. I I kind of find something, in I don't know, I I kind of, I find that interesting (laughs) in the idea of, like, Cool Hand Luke being so, again, crafting something of a secular 60s, like, humanist gospel, where the idea is that, like, and again, it ties back to that thing that you mentioned, the idea of stop putting it all on me, take some responsibility for yourselves. The idea that, you know, in 1960s America, you maybe can't look to God to fix your problems, you need to fix the them people
1: themselves. were were wanting to be part of a movement, like you know, like kind of joining um, cults and kind of are uh, getting into kind of
0: yeah the Manson
1: family and stuff like that. Yeah, various kind of countercultural movements or like um, protests or that sort of thing. I suppose like you can you can you can maybe point to any era as a time when people were part of movements and that people want to be part of tribes generally but yeah it's it's this kind of it feels like this pay on uh individuality i guess um or somebody kind of just not fitting in 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 society and not not um like there there is something that happened before he defaces or <laughs> 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 uh, the, 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 the destroys municipal properties like the, the, the presumably it comes out of a sort of a boredom or they're not fitting in.
0: And again the idea that like obviously what happens in like the the presentation of the prison is somewhere similar to a military camp. Like, even the sequence where the warden is asking him about his service and he's like, you know, you you entered as private and you left as private. And it's like, you got promoted and then you got demoted as well for insubordination. Which is arguably what happens to him in this movie where he's initially, like, wins even the support and charm of some of the guards and then naturally it kind of rebels against and kind of ends up being brutalized and beaten for it. But even the way in which that sequence, like, Luke is framed with the flag. Blowing kind of over his shoulder, like which again is very much like this is America. The idea of like the bunk mates, which all feels like something from a war movie. Yeah, like even even things like the 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 digging of trenches and the digging of ditches that feels like it's something again what you'd associate with like mundane activity. You know, in in a war front, the idea of like digging trenches, hell, the the in, insanity of digging the ditch. And then filling it back up again, and digging the ditch and filling it back up again, simply because you've or been he, told to do so.
1: No, he okay. he got his dirt in, <laughs> in, in the, the warden's Catton's trench.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and, then, and then and then he, he got the dirt the, all over of the yard, boss's
0: yard. So he had yeah. I mean, there was there was a good reason for it. There was, uh, I mean, yeah. The logic is watertight. Why did
1: he do that then? Yeah.
0: Why, why did he do that? I don't know, boss. I don't know. Why would
1: he put his dirt there?
0: dirt in the yard? Uh, it's got to put put it back in the ditch what's it doing in the ditch get it out of the ditch
1: um you should have asked more questions (laughs) (laughs) where would you like me to put the dirt (laughs) boss? i
0: because i feel like that's that's the kind of attitude that the camp would have been very receptive to at that moment in time i think Uh, i feel like that's that's what they wanted to encourage they're trying to encourage independent thought uh amongst their kind of like uh, uh troops as well but like i i I kind of do find that kind of interesting, where you have the idea of, and again, that that idea of yeah, the the contrast between or the presentation of prison as something analogous to, to military service, because like as we talked about, we talked about earlier this year when we talked about like, um, apocalypse now, when we talked about the deer hunter, like Vietnam movies.
1: Have we talked about apocalypse
0: now? <laughs> uh, it's somewhat nebulous. <laughs> <laughs> we have. We haven't had. We haven't released Still, the,
1: canonically. We have not. Yeah. Right?
0: Uh, I think episode 281 is missing. Um, and 281 will be arriving in somebody's feed at some point.
1: Why are we doing that? Uh, because <laughs> it was meant
0: to be the climax of our impromptu Coppola season. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> just release we, it we, we later. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: that podcast episode isn't in sequence, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in sequence. No, wait, the podcast episode isn't in release order. I
1: know we did that once before. Yeah. And I, I was very insistent on us yeah. doing it that way. But <laughs> I guess that has set a precedent. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: sometimes sometimes I do feel like I'm Paul Newman and you are the, you are the boss or the captain. Um, <laughs> 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 what we've got here is a failure. To be a
1: real son of a... a
0: failure to communicate. Um, but yes, as we may or may not have discussed when we talked about Apocalypse Now... Uh, Vietnam movies, you know, weren't hugely popular. They didn't really emerge until the late 70s when you got movies like uh, Coming Home. You got movies like The Deer Hunter. You got movies like, uh, as we mentioned, Apocalypse Now. You did have like The Green Beret, the famous uh, propaganda movie starring George Wayne and George Takei. But you didn't really have anti- John Wayne. John Wayne. Sorry, not George Wayne and John Takei. John Wayne <laughs> and George Takei. Um, But you didn't have, you didn't have like movies that were explicitly about Vietnam. Um, in popular consciousness, and this is very much seen as a movie that is very critical of Vietnam. It's a it's a movie that is critical of the military establishment. It's a movie that is about the idea of these young men doing stuff, or these forty two year old young men, but young men nonetheless, doing things with no reason uh, and with just because they're told to.
1: I mean, how how, how much of that is is coming out? then yeah, and the like no. like you know that 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 it's not a movie it's perhaps not a movie necessarily it, it's certainly not a book um yeah uh, you know may, may may have you read the book no no i haven't but 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 it, it, it's a, it kind of set in in, in the in the 50s it was you know, written late in the 50s, 40s 50s, early 50s. 50s yeah yeah and like don pierce and, is,
0: is notably not a fan of the movie to be clear like don pierce the writer of the book is one of the few people who does not like thank goodness he's not rotten tomatoes he would ruin its perfect score
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah he said like the the uh wardens wouldn't wouldn't kind of have the vocabulary yes to say what we have here is a, a breakdown of communication
0: I mean, well, to be fair, the script did explain, like the script actually included notes on that where it's like, oh no, he went to a course um, given by a Lib- Lib- liberal um, about how best to run uh, a prison like that. So he just, the one thing he internalized was that pseudo-intellectual line about the importance <laughs> of communication and the rest of it he just kind of threw away. I do like that like the script includes that stage direction just in case Struther Martin was having difficulty figuring out his motivations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, they if, um, if 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 it had come out earlier i guess it, it it wouldn't have um given that impression i think it's because of how when it was coming out Yeah, you know i i, I, mean, I mean are is there some indication that it was meant explicitly as because I, I you know if it had come out today um it wouldn't be like an explicitly anti vietnam or vietnam movie or, or like the 2011 uh, uh play Uh, The kind of West End version of it wasn't an um, anti-Vietnam story. I mean
2: that
0: that's that's true but to a certain extent we should be clear this is not a movie that probably could have existed that much before when it did like when it was like when the script was passed through the production code authority in 1966 which as we've kind of discussed as we discussed when we talked about something like it hot was already on its last legs it was already an institution that was seen as being well past its sell by date but the production code authority was still issuing instructions on the script there is entirely too much profanity for us to begin consider, considering approving the script. Uh, they wrote saying, by actual account, "son of a" b- appears four times, goddamn appears six times, "bastard" appears eight times, "damn" appears thirty-two times, "hell," and o- "hell" appears thirty-nine times, and other assorted expressions such as "grab ass," "wise ass," "smart ass." Raggedy ass. Shove
1: it. And an actual ass.
0: And and an actual ass appear on screen. There were several sequences which as presented, described, appeared to us to be unacceptably brutal, savage, and sadistic. Um, So like, yeah, it's a movie that I don't think could have existed in the form that it had before. So I do think like that that's kind of important in terms of contextualizing it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have any comments from Newman saying it's explicitly a Vietnam movie. I don't have anything from Rosenberg saying it's explicitly a Vietnam movie. But it does feel like it speaks very much to that moment. And like there's a fair amount of commentary from 1967, which draws connections to things like the the you know the old good boy kind of thing of Lyndon B Johnson for example the way in which he's presented like the idea of like the captain and some of the bosses kind of being reminiscent of of Johnson as an authority figure um, in terms of like their kind of old good old boys persona their kind of anti intellectual yeah you know, that thing that you mentioned the idea of like are these people who know have the vocabulary to say things like what we have here is what we got here is failure are to you talking
1: about Lyndon B Johnson yes sorry. What
0: did I say?
1: Yeah, no, the, but, like, the, um... Uh, well, I
0: mean, famously vulgar president. He would give directions on the toilet, like he
2: was...
1: Like, there, there, there is, there is, yeah. And, yeah, and and, and was was, was fond of showing people his hog. Yeah, um, as you do. Um, but, but, <laughs> the, 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 the also, kind of, the, you know... Pass civil rights legislation, yes. and kind of there, there is no perfect American president. No, I, 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 know, like, I know. Yeah, uh, I, d- I think the discussion
0: was more specifically in the context of his involvement in Vietnam.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think that was the specific context that was being kind of evoked the the idea of him as as kind of the the person who was responsible for escalating or seen at the time as being responsible for escalating American involvement uh, in Vietnam. Yeah. And as somebody who was making those arguments. And the guy, the president who would go on to complain about Vietnam being lost on television and things like that.
1: I suppose, yeah, there, there, is, there is a kind of a conversation about that. Um, and yeah, certainly he's the person most kind of... And Nixon always said, like, oh, this is, this is you know, this belongs to the previous administration. And... Um, and there was an extent to which, I guess, Kennedy had to prove um, his, um, in the presidential debates to kind of show that he wasn't soft, that his position might have kind of changed because of some uh, grandstanding, kind of in, in but some people feel that he, 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 he was not going to escalate, but ended up kind of taking... Yeah. More kind of anti-Soviet, anti-communist positions uh, to prove his, uh, his
0: kind of strength.
1: To, yeah, to prove to, his yeah. credentials, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: but I mean, okay. To, to be more specific, though, in terms of like 1967, like just this is around the time Johnson decides he's not going to run again. Despite having like won a landslide victory in 1964, arguably off the back of like support for Kennedy, but like mm. Johnson could have run for a second full term. He was within his limits to do so, and he chose not to, which is a rare choice for a sitting president. If you're particularly, uh, if you factor in like not thinking strategically, and the argument is that yeah, the reason why he didn't run was in part because he suspected he would not win. Because he was seen at the time as having this millstone around his neck.
1: Of Vietnam.
0: Of Vietnam, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um sorry, this is a tangent upon a tangent upon a tangent. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Did I just wonder kind of how much how much of that is, is fair is is a per perception and yeah. kind of like like as as in it had it hadn't exactly started with him
0: No, no, obviously he inherited a lot of stuff like a lot of the advisors and stuff were sent over. Like it was it military advisors, wasn't that the term that was used during the Kennedy administration?
1: I think so, or, yeah, yeah. But the, then, then you, you had like, oh no, I was about to say, no, no, never mind. Sorry, we're
0: going into a tangent. <laughs> tangents about tangents about tangents. But like, okay, let, let's let talk then perhaps a bit more specifically about Newman. Because one of the things that's been written about this film, and it's something that George Kennedy has kind of talked about, there's an interview in 1968 uh, with Ebert, which we'll include in the show notes, where... So we, we kind of talked a little bit before we got into the spore zone about newman as like one of the last products of the studio system one of those last like assembly movie stars the the kind of contract players at major studios that were kind of farmed out and contracted out in the hopes of turning them into screen icons that like studios could exploit and the idea that newman himself kind of resisted that and the idea that a large part of his screen persona was him pushing against that and you have This idea, and Ebert advances this argument in his review for Cool Hand Luke, and we'll include that in the show notes as well. The idea that a lot of this is building off, say, as you mentioned, somebody who, like, studying the method with Strasberg, people like Brando and and kind of, you know, James Dean, who, as we mentioned, was somebody who was seen as a counterpart of Newman, somebody you could swap Newman in for uh, in case of emergency if you had to break glass and replace with with Paul Newman.
1: Hopper as well was another kind of... um lee strasberg alumnus yeah
0: but like you you had this idea that like you know in the 50s you had brando doing that you know kind of like anti-hero kind of thing Mm. but it was like newman emerged with a wave of them where you had people like say roger steiger lee marvin steve mcqueen anthony quinn kind of coming out and playing these anti-heroes in american cinema but newman in particular um arguably because like like mcqueen he was a very very handsome man he was a very like he could pass as a conventional movie star i think he was jewish originally uh paul newman is jewish i believe
1: yeah one of his parents his father i think was jewish and his mother was um uh, catholic but um i think subscribed to christian science he described himself as jewish yeah because he said it it was i think he said like it was a it, it it's a it's a it's a tougher road <laughs> like it's more and more difficult yeah. so he, he said he was jewish to kind of like um... yeah
0: <laughs> to make his path like, tougher to make his, his like his path yeah, to stardom yeah. tough which again speaks to that relationship between newman and stardom like he, he kind of like again you mentioned that jewishness um it was exodus in 1960 is seen as like one of the first movies where he kind of pushes against the mold of the studio stardom which is a movie about the foundation of the israel israeli state starring paul newman which is very much kind of him owning that jewishness which again as we kind of i think we discussed when you talk about like people like dustin hoffman in like the 1970s was still seen as being something that would mark you as quote unquote a character actor rather than as a leading man then you have him playing like movies like say the hustler hood Harper or Humbre, which i believe was released the same year as this in which he plays kind of like anti-heroes. Um and then you have like Ebert and again Ebert Ebert's very on point i may just quote from Ebert directly here where mm. used to be the anti-hero was a bad guy we secretly liked. Then with Brando we got a bad guy we didn't like. And now in Cool Hand Luke we get a good guy who becomes a bad guy because he doesn't like us. Luke is the first Newman character to understand himself well enough to tell us to shove off. He's through risking his neck to make us happy. With this film, Newman completes a cycle of five films over six years, and that includes The Hustler, Hud, Harper, Hombre, and Cool Hand Luke. And together, they have something to say about the current status of heroism. Whether this was anyone's original intention is doubtful, uh, Darren's gonna interject here and say that I suspect Newman maybe did have some input there but we'll come back to that <laughs> but Cool Hand Luke does draw together threads from earlier movies especially Hombre and it's a tough honest film with backbone and like when he's interviewing George Kennedy like Ebert kind of pushes this theory to him and he asks like do you think that this was a factor there And and Kennedy comes back and he says look it could be that Paul is making some kind of a statement. You have to remember that in his position, he gets complete control over the scripts he films. So maybe he's choosing anti-hero scripts consciously or subconsciously.
1: When and we were making... Lots
0: of H's as well. <laughs> lots of H's. That's how you get Paul Newman to sign. Cool hand um, Luke. Ray. hand Hand. Uh, Hustler. Yeah. <laughs> and it's
1: like cool. Uh, yeah. Hand. And, I'm,
0: I'm in there. Um, when we were making Luke, we were in Stockton, California. And on weekends, Paul and I would fly back to Hollywood. I remember once Newman got so fed up with all the fuss that he made the plane reservation in another name. But somehow the airline crew got word. I was already on the plane and I saw him coming across the field with dark glasses on and his collar pulled up, the whole works. And the stewardess said, is he coming? And you know who they meant. Then the captain made an announcement about how great it was to have Paul Newman on board and so on. I can't understand how really big superstars like Newman can stand it. And Newman himself has said like, Throughout his career, he'd always be told to take off his glasses and let's have a look at those blue eyes. And here's Newman, like, here's a Newman quote from a 1986 profile. Mm. It's as though someone said, open your mouth and let me see your gums, or open your blouse and let me see your chest. The thing I've never figured out is, how do you present eyes? Do you present them coyly? Do you present them boldly? Usually I just say... I would take off my sunglasses, madam, but my pants would fall down. He wonders, looking in the mirror some morning, can colour be destiny? I picture my epitaph. Here lies Paul Newman, who died a failure because his eyes turned brown. Um, but yeah, like, you, you have this idea of, like, New- Newman not liking being a star. Sorry. It
1: It is relatable in the sense that, like, if you've ever been... Well, Sorry. Not everybody feels this, and I suspect that a lot of actors don't feel this. But that idea of kind of, I certainly identify with this idea of uh, trying to entertain oneself and then, um, and you know, the, to enjoy oneself and then to be made a show of or, or to become the kind of the center of attention and how kind of grating that that, uh, that can be. Well, you just want people to to you know the, uh, there there's there's a really weird energy can come from people when 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 the, if like if 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 ever if if ever you felt like you're in a room to entertain people yeah and um, it's like immediately kind of um, oh i'm <laughs> You know what? What am I? It's cl-
0: reductive, it's do the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> am I here for your amusement to make you laugh? It is do the
1: thing, yeah, absolutely. Where, like, like, um, like from I, I, I guess from school, maybe at times, uh, being a bit of a class clown, but then when you get that thing where it's like, oh, do the thing, say that thing that you said, and it's like. No, I'm I'm amusing myself, and like I've already done that. I'm not gonna, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I love by the way that like you're comparing like you're comparing yourself to Paul Newman. It's like no, I I understand. No, the no. Cre- no, no, I know. I'm I know. I'm I'm being slightly facetious. You know
1: what I mean? I do.
0: Um, I do. I, I I I get that. It's the bit where you're like, yeah, you you like the bit where I write an article and I'm asked on radio to repeat the thing, and it's like I don't really feel like I want to make the argument on radio again. <laughs>
1: But I I suspect that that a, a lot of performers don't have that kind of compulsion, yeah. you know, and and that that's maybe something that makes Paul Newman special, because I I think it's it's an energy that he brings. It is certainly in that scene, but you 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 I think you get it throughout that like he's somebody who's amused, you know. And, and is amusing himself.
0: Even when they do, like, the introductory bit, it's like, gets a knight in the box. You forget your spoon, you get a knight in the box. You forget your number, you get a knight in the box. Anybody who smokes not in prone position gets a knight in the box, and you can see Why him smirking.
1: I, you shouldn't smoke in the prone position. It's inappropriate. It's position. Nice.
0: <laughs> I like the way we managed to easily kind of smooth these ones in. I, I really like it. very <laughs> graceful. Um but I, I like that sequence where, they, where the where the kind of the, the supervisor doing that. You can see car ca- car
1: the floor walker car
0: the floor walker. You can see that like Luke is smiling to himself and repeating to himself. It's for his own amusement. It's like this he finds kind of funny. And again, even like in the early introductory, that's scene,
1: before he's in with anyone. Really. Yeah.
0: But he doesn't really want to be in with anybody, which I guess no. is kind of like what makes him cool. And I guess what makes Newman cool as well is the idea that he he's not performing for anybody. He's not like he's 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 not sensitive to what anybody else expects or he's wants. He's
1: performing him. for himself, yeah. I guess. So That's certainly the kind of energy you get um, uh, from, 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 from him, Yeah, um, which I think is what makes him so compelling.
0: And and again, another point that, like, when when Ebert revisited Cool Hand Luke, uh, I think 40 or 50 years after it came out, or 40 years because Ebert passed away shortly thereafter, but um, he, he mentioned, like, the sheer brutality of the film, at least in the context of, like, 60s cinema. Like, he said, like, as somebody who was seeing movies and reviewing movies in the 60s, obviously, like, before The Wild Bunch or whatever, but it was, like, seeing a movie star like Newman get that roughed up. And be made that vulnerable and that oh, merciful
1: beating. Yes, even like kind of earlier in the with, with the with the fight with George Kennedy. Yeah, and can I say by the way George Kennedy is is, is is great. And I I think yes people mostly know him from like the, <laughs> Please, um, uh, the Naked Gun. Yeah, yeah, from <laughs> from 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 the Naked Gun movies where where he's terrific.
0: Um, he, like yeah. that, that Ebert kind of quote I put off there there's a moment afterwards where he goes oh by the way some people still recognize me but I look pretty much like how I did in high school and I wasn't attractive then so I've learned to deal with it um, which <laughs> I, quite, I quite like a very humble man for somebody who just won an Oscar um, but he does he comes across he comes across he does well.
1: seem like one of those guys as well who has like Gene Hackman disease <laughs> <laughs> he's always been
0: that age. He
1: always looked the same. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, he did say like I think sometime, I can't remember what how directly it was after Cool Hand Luke, he was asked like would he was there anything he would not do for a role? And it's like I wouldn't shave my head. I'm already going bald and I don't want to speed up the process. <laughs> which I quite like that was the thing that really struck me watching this movie. It's like, yeah, he's bald. He's balding and there's no real attempt to cover it up, which is nice. I quite like that. I think that like that's quite uh... and again, the 250s... <laughs>
1: There's one other guy in the prison who's got really good hair <laughs> I, I don't know if he has many lines but he, he, he looks like there's like a hair and makeup person you know, like he, he's like he's brought in for himself.
0: yeah, he's sleeping in bunk forty seven Nobody really talks about that guy too much um, but i I do kind of find that interesting and and again, in keeping with the kind of like that idea we mentioned of kind of like religious imagery and religious iconography. I do find it interesting that the movie repeatedly parallels people and animals. And again, that's very much in keeping with that idea of kind of like what makes a person a person. The idea of having inherent dignity. But you have things like, during the escape attempt, the other prisoner ends up like tangled in the barbed wire. Which is very much like the dogs end up tangled in the barbed wire later on. Which is
1: very sad. Yeah. I feel like there is some, some animal cruelty in this movie. In the
0: making of this movie, quite possibly, unfortunately. It and feels like, like it. And you have like oh. Anthony Zerb carrying in the the kind of the dead dog dead from blue. from the trunk of the car, which is very much very similar to how Luke himself is presented, um, like later on when he's dragged from the trunk of the car and he's practically dead. You have things blue, like
1: the the bloodhound. Um, call him by his name he had a <laughs> name Darren. <laughs> <laughs> a,
0: okay anthony's herb um, and and you have like obviously like you have like in the discussion you have like when he's talking to his mother and his mother's like you know there's a might as well like be like a female dog who kind of like looks at her pups and then doesn't recognize them anymore but I you have you can say a bitch in I, that context i think though. we can i like uh, all of the i'm fairly sure i won't have to bleep any of the words i said from like the production code authority memo which is kind of a great sign of how culture has marched on.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have to. That's a that's a, a, a basic biological term, right? Um, but yeah, like the, I like the the way in which the movie keeps coming back to this idea of like people and animals and the idea of like the question of whether or not humans have an inherent dignity that animals don't, and how you define that, and you define that through that idea of resisting authority or not following commands or that individuality that you kind of mentioned earlier. Yeah. The idea of preserving that in a in a kind of a because like again even the prison looks like a chicken coop at times like with uh, the wires. No, but the, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's the the way to like it's not important why they're in prison. Yeah. It's the setting of prison is the appropriate kind of a setting to explore that theme yeah of um kind of human spirits and freedom and um you you have to oppose it to something
0: yeah that's it. well it's,
1: it's a like prison again, is but, the perfect place for that
2: yeah
0: is it uh, is it noel murray in, in the dissolve makes the argument that no prison movie is actually about prison it's more just a background for an existential meditation on again the, tri- the human nature And the idea of, like, the relationship between people and authorities. And again, something that the movie, I I know we kind of opened, and I was was very mean, and I apologize, I was very mean uh, to Mr. Stuart Rosenberg at the start of this, and I apologize for that. But, like, even things like the use of signs and traffic lights um, throughout the movie, like the fact that the first thing you see on screen is the violation flag from the um, from the coins, from the parking meters as he's decapitating them. But throughout you have this idea of kind of like red lights and green lights and you have like stop signs and how much of the movie is like pushing in on stop signs and how much of the characters are framed by various road signs that instruct them to do things like yield. Again, the idea of reinforcing that theme of resistance against the system um, and the idea of like the, the way in which these structures are built. As As you said, the fact that they're tarring roads. I think you you made the point. I don't know I think you made it in conversation a couple of years ago and it's really stuck with me. But the idea that we build roads not for people. We don't build roads for human beings. We don't build roads for like yeah. ordinary people to walk and navigate. Because if you run on tar or on road surfaces, you will damage your knees. They're designed for cars, for vehicles, for infrastructure, for the system or for larger structures. Yeah. They're not built for people to use and i got that was something again i kind of thought about while i was watching them tar these roads so congratulations andrew you've uh... <laughs> <laughs> um but that was just something i was kind of thinking about like they're building they're building infrastructure that is not for people like the world that they are not only confined and like trapped within strips them of their humanity but the world or the work that they're doing outside is not for human beings which i find interesting um, that is true. Which it makes it so great that they recognise the individuality of the woman uh, uh, as she like cleans her car <laughs> and don't treat her as well, a sex I, object. <laughs> they do call her Lucille.
1: I like the fact that they recognise that she is kind of like flaunting her sexuality. That it's not that she is unaware of them, and that it's just kind of like you know them perving on this unsuspecting kind of innocent young woman that she is um, getting a kick out of, like, driving them crazy. Uh Um, And at least that that adds some sort of... um, uh, (laughs) I don't know (laughs) how it stands up.
0: I was was worried you were going to say some agency to it. Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I just about didn't say that. (laughs) 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 It got close.
0: We should note, by the way, that, like, uh, despite the fact that you say that, and despite the fact that the movie says that joy Harmon when she's been interviewed about it is like i wasn't trying to be sexy i was just told to clean a car and so cleaned a car
1: i i yeah i saw her on um your money or your life i think or um or, or, or what's the name of that show with like grouch remarks anyway do we do it um but yeah oh, she seems oh, very you sort bet of your life like, is it in yeah i think so yeah you bet your life she seems very sort of innocent and kind of naive and or not exactly sure what's going on in a in a, in a, in a terrible kind of like why wasn't anybody looking after her sort of way yeah so i I could I could kind of I could believe that but certainly the um in the world of the movie that is not the case yeah so uh, while while joy Harman mightn't have realized what she was doing the character of the girl does yeah.
0: Um and in terms of, of just we're, kind of, we're led to believe. We're, we're led to believe anyway. Um and in terms of just other stuff, and again, this is something that I'm probably not entirely comfortable talking about, but it's something that kind of jumped out to me while I was watching it, and I have kind of questions, and I guess it's worth kind of broaching. There's a weird slavery but without black people vibe to this movie, um, which is, is odd.
1: It is curious, actually. Yeah, that it and I I mean Presumably, though, in the fifties, there were the prisons segregated. were segregated too. Yeah. In 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 Florida, I'm not sure if that is the case, but that's just what I'm guessing. Um, so that may be a reality of it, but the the we we do have black people in the movie. We do
0: indeed. We have the two kids, just
1: not in not 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 in the prison. Yeah, and I mean like um,
0: we we should note there as well. Like again, just to put that in context, because things like you know. The, the moment where, like the first one of the new arrivals is put in the box, and the explanation that's offered by by Dragline is he sassed a free man, yeah, which feels very much like a kind of a slavery thing. The fact that the shackles and irons, the imagery, the box
2: is well, an imagery yeah,
0: that you know think, associates very much with plantation imagery. I think even things like the imagery. I think
1: it's certainly in the context of of, of the Deep South. Yeah. That it, well. that it, that it, that it's it it's a language that already exists around. Yeah slavery and it's the 13th Amendment.
0: Yeah. Um, Which is, again, the the Ava DuVernay documentary, which is very, very good on the subject as well, which covers the idea. But the idea that
1: that, that, uh, you know, that that we've outlawed slavery, except in these specific... (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) If only we could find
0: another disposable workforce that we could use, um, which is statistically, unfortunately, predominantly African-American as well. Um, Yeah, the idea that, yeah, the prison labor has in some ways kind of replaced or been put into or treated as an exception to that kind of exploitation
1: now i i don't know if it's the case that there were that there were segregated prisons but i imagine that may be a a an answer to that question or it could just be that i can't imagine well do you think that in 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 1967 they didn't want to have any um black people of like the 50 inmates in the prison or do you think that a, it was a segregated prison, but they just that they just don't say. I suppose we don't know. We we don't know. <laughs> this and we is not something spe- that we're going to. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we probably shouldn't speculate on. But I like I I do find it interesting that like and again, this is the thing where it's like 1967 and you have the civil rights movement happening at the same time. And this is to be clear. This is Darren talking nonsense. So I'm not applying motivation. I'm not implying that anybody working on the movie felt this way. It is an observation that quite a few people have made. There's some academic texts which will include as well on the subject, uh, if you could read from people who are far smarter than me, uh, talking about this subject. Uh, But it is notable that, like, you know, it's 1967, you have the Civil Rights Movement happening, you have this idea of white audiences being confronted with the idea that African Americans haven't been treated fairly historically, um, or even currently. Um, but there is this historical debt that needs to be paid. Um, and the idea that perhaps to play into that or perhaps to explore or develop that, you have these narratives with white characters who are placed in situations that are very directly analogous to the experiences of African-Americans. It's notable, for example, that like one of the big breakout roles for Sidney Poitier was The Defiant One. which They're The Defiant Ones which is a movie about a white prisoner and a black prisoner who escape from a chain gang and are literally chained to one another, therefore kind of creating the comparison or the the equation or equivalence perhaps between the two, suggesting that that bondage is something that's shared. And naturally... That you know, Tony Curtis and Sydney Poitier over the course of that movie come to respect and understand one another as well. And you know, it it ended up winning you know Academy Awards for cinematography, original screenplay, and was nominated for seven of them, including Best Picture and Best Actor for both Poitier and Curtis. But like, I do wonder if maybe that's a uh, something that is whether consciously or or perhaps more likely subconsciously playing throughout the film. Because like when I was watching it, and again, this is is probably something that speaks more to me as you know as a as a viewer as a white guy watching a movie from 1967 in the context of 2022 but like the movie it at times it reminded me almost more of something like 12 years a slave than it did of something like the Shawshank Redemption um in particular things like you know and again you're quite right a lot of this stuff is is you know the fact that it's set in the south and the fact that maybe a lot of these traditions would have been inherited from that, those traditions in the south yeah but it is something that i, I felt a little uncomfortable watching uh, when i was kind of watching it. it it was just it was again something that was percolating in my mind i don't know if it it actually affects anything i don't think it diminishes the film in any serious way but it is something that i just thought was worth mentioning in the context of watching the movie that it, it felt really strange that it's like yep yeah, this is a a movie that uses language that i now associate primarily with films that portray slavery um, like Antebellum, like Twelve Years a Slave, all that sort of stuff. Um,
1: yeah, no, I, 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 I can, I can see where that kind of comes from. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, just in terms of of other stuff, uh, just to talk about very briefly, so we don't end on that somewhat depressing or dark <laughs> in which neither of us have any real ground to stand on. Um, it is worth noting that for the sequence where Newman plays uh, the banjo, Newman actually learned how to play the banjo for that. He he couldn't play before the movie began, and he started. T- he taught himself like during filming. Um, he wanted to play his own accompaniment, even though like Rosenberg said, you don't need to learn to play the banjo. It's not easy. Don't. Uh, and apparently,
1: Newman doesn't look easy.
0: No, it does. It certainly doesn't. He
1: plays it well, though.
0: He does well. I mean, like like again, um, Kennedy has talked about like the filming of that sequence and it, like how amazing it was and how when he did it, everybody just kind of stood silently. And then Rosenberg said, "Cut and print," and Paul paused and said, "I could do it better." At which point Rosenberg responds, "Nobody can do it better. Print the scene," uh, which is <laughs> c- kind of amazing. I, like that's a real wonderful story about like Paul Newman as a mensch. Uh, is there anything else um, you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you?
1: In terms of our usual nonsense, the the the, the fifty eggs. <laughs> um, and not wasted. He 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 doesn't vomit them. Um, the uh, the pepper, mustard, and chili powder, though. And that's um,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess the dogs don't enjoy that either. They yeah. Just get
1: thrown on the ground. Those the dogs don't really yeah, appreciate it. They, they kind of stop after a bit. I mean, they but, don't like... finish it. <laughs>
0: On, on the 50 eggs scene, which I'm surprised we didn't talk about there, and we won't talk about for for too much Darren Promises. Um, <laughs> but like the sequence where Luke eats the 50 eggs, like I think Matt Seller's Ice has made the argument that it's like a bizarre inversion of Jesus Christ's feeding of multitudes, uh, which appears in all four Gospels, as well as, as you said, referencing Easter. It's a very Easter movie with lots of eggs. But I do like yeah. that it, it becomes, it's this idea of him almost being like a sin eater him him kind of like manifesting for these people
1: we're like it's <laughs> Darren, come on what what, <laughs> all right, go ahead. <laughs>
0: Okay. okay. But the idea that, like, yeah, he becomes this thing that they imprint on where, like, he doesn't really make the bet with the 50 eggs. He's not the one who's motivated by it. It's more dra- Dragline who's the one who's really pushing it and really invested in it. And so, like, everybody else is betting money and everybody else is profiting off it. But the idea is that he consumes and he becomes this kind of thing that, you know, allows all these other people to profit from it that and nonsense that... okay
1: all right there are two people who profit off it there's him <laughs> and drag fine like then and every everyone else then is in hop. He's, <laughs> he's not a sin eater he's, he's 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 like the sin giver i don't know he's, he's <laughs> like he's, whatever he's... the
0: opposite of that thing is
1: oh fine. yeah exactly <laughs>
0: fine but the idea that he, he eats, okay he eats for the amusement of all these other people he consumes for the amusement he again the idea
1: that he eats 50 eggs <laughs> I, I i feel like the what what it, what it, what it's saying is is that he is eats 50 he want, eggs? He, yeah he he bet them he could eat 50 eggs and, then he did.
0: <laughs> and again the other, okay fine fine it's certainly not a commentary on public spectacle fine it's
1: no it's it it's um it's it's um it's it's saturn eating his (laughs) children
0: children. (laughs) they are unfertilized ova um yeah uh, sorry so andrew what else have you got then
1: apologies it's um he he is the anti mother
0: i do like by the way i heard you laugh earlier on when i described like if if god exists he must be blind if he is not blind he (laughs) must be cruel (laughs) And you're like no this is just a prison movie darren relax take it easy
1: no, are I'm you okay over not.
2: that I, side I, um. <laughs> no
1: i i definitely did read, read some of the, the 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 kind of um like theological kind of significance into it sure yeah absolutely <laughs> um yeah but no no the the, the um yeah i i, I, I sp- you, I mean it's definitely an Easter movie and and, and <laughs> like and, Robocop <laughs> and, and, yeah yeah and it's definitely yeah I mean we've made our obligatory Robocop reference and our gratuitous Robocop reference earlier and um, I guess we've talked about inappropriate smoking we've also talk, uh, the, the, um, I suppose we could add um, to that um, Arletta smoking while coughing and dying
0: and <laughs> <I'm> dying <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and again, again, the the idea of like religious imagery that perfect, like she's listening to to religious songs on the radio as that's happening. Her two sons are called Luke and John, in case you don't get it. When she dies, Mm. the song that he plays in the banjo is Plastic Jesus, which is again mocking the idea of those four inch like Jesus statues that people have on their kind of, um, is it in their cars? Um, I think it's the Holy Mary. Yeah. 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 So again, not a movie that is particularly subtle in terms of its iconography or theme. No, definitely not. Yeah
1: but I, w- I wouldn't dispute that He <laughs> <laughs> just thought it was funny the way you summed it up.
0: um all right yeah that's that's a real pull quote for the back of the dvd um, <laughs> if god is not dead he must be blind if he is not blind he must be cruel um all it's right fun. watch it <laughs> yeah, it is it's a good time yeah. <laughs> four stars darren mooney um Alright then, so what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something since we don't have any guests, it's just myself and Andrew. Andrew, what would you recommend? What is So listeners, get your sheet ready where you wrote down the Paul Newman movie that you thought Andrew was going to mention flick it over, look at it and see if it is
1: I watched it recently it was uh, Road to Perdition oh. I, did, I think I saw it a week or so ago. Um, nice that you didn't uh,
0: play your hand, nice. I like yeah, it Yeah,
1: because we, 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 we did, did mention discuss it. it earlier um, it's uh, it's terrific. I think Dan- Daniel Craig is is terrific in it. I like I like when Daniel Craig is an American. I think he 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 does a, good, a decent job as an American. Um, so big fan of I, Logan Lucky. Yeah, yeah, did um, and uh, um, um, of um, of course, knives out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Both of which feature flawless accents. Um. <laughs>
1: He is huge in Road to Perdition, um, and it's a movie that feels really kind of consequential, you know. Yeah. Um, like it just feels like um, this sort of um, important movie, you know. Which is odd because um, it
0: seems to be largely forgotten, and it's, I would argue it's a much better film than Mendes's first film, uh, which is American Beauty. Um, oh,
1: absolutely. Like uh, um un, undoubtedly. But the, the the and and I I I think Hanks is terrific in it. I think there are some fantastic scenes, like the the um the noiseless kind of um uh, uh, climax. Yeah. With with with, um, uh, with 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 Paul Newman kind of in the rain, and I won't I won't kind of say any more about it. But I I. I just thought it was terrific, um, and there, there's, there's, there's so many wonderful touches in that movie. I love, I love the 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 seeing kind of Daniel Craig's character through the window. Yeah, but he can't kind of see, see that. Out. Yeah, because he, he can kind of just see his own reflection. I thought that was really clever. I um, also really like um, Paul Newman in *Hudsucker Proxy*. Which which I also think is a terrific movie. And I also um,
0: really enjoy, despite the insinuations yeah. that you made when we talked about Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> Our, we spent something like 10 minutes of the Fargo episode of me going, so the Hudsucker Proxy was not well received and didn't make money. And you were like, why don't you like it, Darren? And I'm like, that's not what I said, Andrew.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think you described it as a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> what would I would I, would I, would I would saying kind of like in in, in... critically <laughs> yeah, and commercially. Yeah, you don't put your own cards on the table. Well, you know, nothing if is you a real you like say that you like it <laughs> first. <laughs> okay. <You
0: know? laughs> this, this is like when we talk about La La Land, and I'm like, um, and you're like, some people here might not want to hear this, but La La Land is a good movie. And I'm like, Andrew, I also like La La Land. <laughs> you're like, not enough, Darren, not enough.
1: No, oh. but uh, Hugsucker Proxy is a movie that we both like.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> typically. <clear>.
1: Equally. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. And Paul Newman is terrific in yes a movie that I saw recently that that isn't a sixties movie nor is it set in the sixties uh, nor is it, nor is it in the fifties it's it's set in nineteen seventy three Darren oh okay for the people at home it's licorice pizza who had licorice pizza
0: <laughs> we got one in Connecticut
1: yeah I saw licorice pizza the other day um, kind of. The uh, I kind I,
0: of had that pegged as a you movie.
1: I bought it in a hotel I was staying in and um, watched like one hour of it, and uh, um, that night, and then woke up in the morning and watched the the the, the next. And I, 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 I kept saying to 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 Petrina like the day after, I was like, that was really good, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 it, it's it's terrific kind of it it's very sweet um coming of age movie it's extremely funny yeah um and really moving
0: know, as well like that that sequence run yeah. again not to get too spoilery as much as you can spoil a movie like licorice pizza but it's one of the great running movies like which is something yes. i really i really love in a movie have characters run as somebody who doesn't like running himself but likes watching people run which sounds creepy when i say it
1: you're good at running darren <laughs> You're surprisingly good at running <laughs> considering you don't
0: I don't do it
1: <laughs> um, yeah no I thought it was ter- 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 terrific and had a great uh, score and a great soundtrack um, yeah oh it uh Wonderful. What 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 did you think? But I, I I get the sense from your earlier comments that maybe it wasn't your kind of movie.
0: No, I actually really 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 enjoyed it. It's not my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I get the sense that that is probably still There Will Be Blood or Punch Drunk Love, which I guess this is kind of close to, um, or Inherent Vice. But I really liked it. I found it really moving. It's again a genuinely romantic movie in a very odd way. I find it's one of those great listless movies it's one of the great hangout movies one of the great vibe movies yes. where it's a movie about somebody who has not figured out how to get their life together and i actually like that it's a teenage girl i think that it's it's um is it heim what which heim is it, is it Alison
1: heim well she's in her she's 25 yeah. I, oh, yeah, sorry. I think she's i think she says she's 25 but that she's actually kind of um, I think she let slip at some point that she's actually like a, a few years older. Yeah, yeah it's Alana Heim.
0: Heim, which is a phenomenal
1: performance. Um, so it's yeah. her 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 first um, uh, movie appearance, as 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 well as Cooper Hoffman's, yes. who, who I who I thought was terrific. Yeah, I, <laughs> the he's, son of he, Philip Seymour he,
0: Hoffman, and very much yeah. has the acting genes. It seems
1: no, but his his his, his energy is just so um, terrific and and it was it it was such a sweet movie yeah um really really uh loved and I, I mean you could probably criticize it on some sort of um, oh don't don't google I, I, don't
0: google it on social media do not google it on social media
1: oh no i i i, I was gonna say more in kind of script writing terms okay. as in kind of like having a um, like a no, no, actually, actually, no, I take that back. Um it does have a beginning and a middle end yeah. and it's a it is a it's a it's a love story. Yeah.
0: And uh, it's a figuring yeah. out yourself coming of age story as well. Yeah. It's a coming of age story for a woman who's in her 20s, which is quite remarkable. And it,
1: it, it's I I I suppose it it is sort of a platonic love story. Yeah. Um to to um, to be clear. Although although it's, it it's like I suppose not entirely. Anyway, yeah. it's a great movie. It is. Watch it. it's very very
0: very good i will heartily recommend second all of that uh and in terms of recommendations uh for myself again because we're talking about paul newman a big fan of like butch Cassidy and the sundance kid which is a movie that i'm really Really? sad dropped off the list that we won't get a chance to talk about um no, I I know, but also even the color of money from nineteen eighty six, which is for my money one of the underrated Scorsese movies. Um, in large part because it's Scorsese getting that sweet sweet money. It's Scorsese figuring out how to make a studio film and making it in the nerdiest way possible. It's like so so Martin. Yeah. Martin, you know, you know, sequels are big right now. It's like, yeah, you know, like like Rocky three and Rocky four and, uh, and Star Trek three and Star Trek four. You know, all these hit franchises the kids love. It's like, yeah. So Marty, how would you like to make a movie franchise, a movie sequel for us? It's like, yeah, I'd love to make a movie sequel. What would you love to make a movie sequel to, Marty? You know, the Hustler from nineteen sixty. You know, twenty six years ago.
1: <laughs> uh, do you know it is always worth waiting? Because yeah. we saw it recently with with Top Gun Maverick. Like if you wait 25 years to make a sequel.
0: Yeah you can have a generational thing going on which is what it does like again I think the color of money is an interesting counterpoint to Top Gun Maverick where it's a it is a movie about a relationship between an old movie star and a new movie star and the tension that happens between the two whereas Top Gun Maverick is a relationship between an old movie star and a bunch of young people who are never going to be movie stars so uh, (laughs) I guess you better get out of my way
2: Um,
0: (laughs) but I I do joking aside I do think that there is a nice kind of like they make a nice double feature the two of them together um in terms of other stuff like we mentioned this being a very 60s movie another 60s movie i watched recently or rewatched recently was the birds uh from 1963 alfred hitchcock's the birds uh which is one of those great the world is ending and we have no idea why movies which darren loves so so much the center cannot hold everything is unraveling um In some ways, perhaps the opposite of this movie, where this movie is the problem is the center is wound too tight and it won't loosen its grip, um, which perhaps explains why I like The Birds so much. But yes, I would wholeheartedly recommend The Birds. If you haven't seen it, it's one of the... It's like Birdemic, but what if Birdemic was good? That's what Hitchcock asks from the vantage point of 1963. Um, So I would wholeheartedly recommend both of those. All right, uh, we'll be back next week when, in a wonderful... Serendipish, serendipitish, ah, in a wonderful slice of serendipity, Darren says, learning how to pronounce words properly, uh, we will be dealing with one of the students of director Stuart Rosenberg. Stuart Rosenberg, as a director, retired, I believe, sometime around 1992. He became a teacher at the AFI. At the AFI, he had a bunch of students who were usually promising, went on to be directors in their own rights. When he passed away in 2007, Three of his former students dedicated their 2008 movies to them to him. One of those directors was Darren Aronofsky. Next week we'll be joined by the fantastic Richard Drum to talk about Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. Will it be as much as an u- of, a, of an upper as The Cool Hand Luke? Will it be just as <laughs> cheerful and enlightening and illuminating? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Andrew's laugh answers it all. Take it easy.
2: Bye. Thanks very much, Dad.